Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days 
in three nights. Um, I want you to picture in your mind um, a spy movie, any spy movie. I'm stealing this analogy directly from Tim Mackey. It's, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, I want you to picture any spy movie that, uh, that you've watched, whether it's Mission Impossible, uh, James Bond, whatever, or whatever you like, uh, Kim Possible, right? Um, I, I want you to, I want you to imagine that scene. It's in every single spy movie, right? That scene where the, the hero is like about to do something like spy-y or heroic or whatever, um, and you know he's about to you know win whatever he's doing, and all of a sudden he sees a red dot on his chest, right? What does that that red dot mean? Marked. He's marked. Right? There's a sniper, or maybe he walks into a negotiation and like he sees a couple of red dots on himself. Right? There's 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 a sniper somewhere, and there's a target on his chest. All right, pause that analogy. Put it to the side for a second. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Um, Jonah is unlike any other book of the prophets we have in the Old Testament. Right? It is wholly unique. Uh, every other book of prophecy, every other book of the prophets that's in the Old Testament uh, is about the message that the prophets gave, right? Jonah is about the messenger, right? Every other prophet focused on Israel and would sometimes write to other nations. Jonah was called to actually go to another nation. And so even as you start reading the book of Jonah, uh, it starts out sounding like some of the other books of prophecy, right? There are different types of writings in the Old Testament. There's narratives, there's prophets, uh, there's, uh, there's uh, poems and songs. Um, and so the, prophet, the books of the prophets typically have a very similar structure to them, right? They start out with this phrase, now the word of the Lord came to such and such a prophet, and it would proceed from there. Uh, and so Jonah starts out the same way as any other prophet, and then it stops right there. From that point forward, it's no longer like any of the books of the prophets. It is now like one of the narratives. It's telling the story of the prophet Jonah. Right? What comes to your mind when you think of Jonah? The fish. The fish. Right? Contrary to popular opinion, Jonah is not about a fish. Right? The fish is in two verses, uh, and then the fish is gone. Right? There's, it's, 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 a, uh, uh, it's unfortunate that we've turned this into a kid's story about a man being swallowed by a fish, uh, which it's, it's not. It's so much more than that. Um, Jonah lives in about 8th century BC. He lives in, in northern uh, Israel. He's living during a time where there are some kings who, who follow the way of the Lord and they lead Israel to, um, uh, to prosper. And there are other kings who, uh, who walk away from the way of the Lord and they bring destruction upon Israel. And so Jonah is kind of, minist his ministry is during this time frame. Um, and I don't know, uh, what is, your, what is your understanding of even the, the idea of a prophet? What is a prophet? What is the role of a prophet? I'm going to tell the message from the Lord. Okay. A message from the Lord. Someone reads signs and does wonders. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, we have we have these different uh, uh, culturally. We have these different cultural understandings of what a prophet is supposed to be. And, you know, have you heard the prophecy of you know so and so or whatever? No, I, like we have these different misunderstandings or understandings of, of prophets. Uh, most of the time, a prophet would just speak on behalf of God. Right? God would speak through the prophet to his nation, to the people, to other nations, um, and uh, a lot of times a prophet would uh, would be used by God to call out sin. Uh, and to prophesy destruction, right? So if you do not repent from this course, you are going to be led to destruction. Uh, that's the role of the prophet. And so uh, oftentimes, uh, very often, the news coming from the prophets is bad news, right? Uh, your, your job is to bring the bad news, right? You guys have sinned against the Lord in this way, this way, and this way, and here is what's going to happen as a result of that sin. And so there's a sense in which the prophet also foretells what is coming, um, but oftentimes it is, uh, it is foretold so that we can repent of that path, right? If I keep going down this path, it's going to lead to destruction. Prophet told me that, so I'm going to repent, and I'm going to choose a different path in following the way of the Lord. And so, and oftentimes, their message is also undergirded with hope and with mercy uh, of, of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And if, if they just repent, they're going to experience that. Uh, and so the prophet's job was not a very popular job in, uh, in Jonah's day, okay? Uh, you oftentimes were persecuted. Many of the prophets were killed because their job was to bring the bad news, right? So... Uh, as we read through the book of uh, Jonah together over the next four weeks, um, man, I want you to see the beautiful artistry behind this, this writing, okay? Uh, this, listen to this, this quote. This is from one of the commentators I read. Uh, he's talking about how brilliantly the book of Jonah is written, okay? Uh, he says, in recent studies of the literary character of the Old Testament, the verdict is unanimous, that the book of Jonah exhibits a high degree of literary excellence. Everyone agrees that Jonah is written brilliantly. All right? One commentator describes it as enormously varied, rich, and complex. Even the choice of what may appear to be small words is calculated. Okay? Another commentator calls it uh, a model of literary artistry marked by symmetry and balance. And one other commentator says, uh, it is from the beginning to the end in form and in content, in diction, phraseology, style, it is a masterpiece of rhetoric, right? This is a unanimous opinion amongst all the scholars that Jonah is written uh, beautifully and brilliantly, okay? And it actually, it, it, it's, it's crazy. If you start to read it, it divides very neatly into these sections uh, that parallel and mimic and play off of one another. There's interesting word plays throughout the book of Jonah uh, that are that if we were reading in the original language, we'd probably pick up on it a lot more than we do in our in English. Um, but Jonah divides easily into chapter into two sections, like two acts of a of a play. Right, uh, chapters one and two is Act one, chapters two and three is Act two, and then they kind of parallel one another as well, where chapter one and chapter three are very similar in style and content. Chapter two and chapter uh, four are very similar in style and content. Um, so uh, it's, it, 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 it's just brilliantly written, right? It's beautifully, brilliantly written. Uh, not only that, but I, I mentioned this to a few of you, uh, but Jonah was originally meant to be a 
more of a comedy, right? It is ironic. Uh, it is satirical, right? Uh, in the book of Jonah, everyone gets it except for who? Jonah, right? Like, do you get the irony of that, right? Uh, the pagan sailors get it. Uh, the Ninevites and their kings get it. Uh, the wind, the sea, and the ship get it, okay? The plants, the worms, and the cattle get it, but Jonah doesn't get it, right? Everyone and everything except for Jonah understands what God is about, but the man of God doesn't, right? That is ironic. It is meant to be satirical. It's kind of like another Tim Mackey uh, plug here. It's kind of like uh, an ancient SNL skit, right? If you, if you like watching SNL, like what is, it, what is it that we like about SNL? It's funny, right? right? What, is it, what is it making fun of? Real life stuff, right? We're making fun of our leaders. We're making fun of uh, our culture. We're making fun of ourselves, right? We're making fun of Netflix. We're making fun of everything, right? It's satirical, uh, and it's meant to be a critique, right? SNL is in many ways a critique of our culture, right? You're laughing along with them, and then you realize, oh, stink, I'm laughing at myself, right? They're making fun of me, right? That's the point of SNL, and so uh, as we read through Jonah, it's kind of like an SNL skit about us, right? Um, and as we're reading this, and as we are kind of noticing the irony and critiquing Jonah and laughing about how everyone and everything gets it except for him, uh, all of a sudden we start seeing the targets on ourselves, right? That's the whole point of the book of Jonah, It's to get the target back on myself. I'm supposed to read through the book of Jonah. I'm supposed to recognize all the ways in which Jonah fails and then realize at the end, oh, I am Jonah. I get it. I am Jonah, which is actually what I've titled this teaching. I am Jonah. Right? So if we read it correctly, Jonah becomes so much more than just a story about a fish. Right? It leads us to ask questions like, how am I like Jonah, right? What call from God am I running from, right? God has given me a call, right? Maybe it's surrendering my life to him. Maybe it's speaking up uh, at work. Maybe it's uh, serving or caring somewhere and I am running from it, right? What is my ship to Tarshish, right? How am I running away from the call that God has given me, right? What is the storm in my life, that God has brought in order to redirect my course to tell me that I need to obey his call, right? And, and even who am I harming along the way, right? Jonah it doesn't care about the people around him. He's putting people in danger left and right, right? Who am I harming along the way as I am running from the call that God gives for me? So we've been talking for weeks about this upcoming study on Jonah, and I've been calling it How to Be a Bad Missionary, right? Because there's a lot in Jonah about how to be a bad missionary, but it's so much more than just mission, all right? The call that I'm running from could, could doesn't, may not have anything to do with mission, all right? It might have something to do with uh, the way that I care for the people around me and, my, and the family of God. It might be about how, uh, how I'm supposed to be pursuing my, and devoting myself to my relationship with, with Jesus, and I'm running from that, 
Okay, so I'm gonna pray. We're gonna jump into this text. We're gonna take it one quick section at a time. And because we have a lot of verses to cover, we're just gonna do it quickly. Okay, and then we'll wrap it up with some thoughts at the end. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would open up your, your scriptures to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, um, uh, would show us that little laser on ourselves, the ways in which that we are Jonah, the ways in which we're running from the call that you put on our lives. I pray, Jesus, that your uh, conviction would come upon us, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Right, Jonah, uh, the word Jonah, the name Jonah means dove. Amittai means truth or faithfulness, right? So I, like, this is comedy number one. <laughs> Jonah, right, the dove, the son of faithfulness, right? He is the least faithful one in the entire story. So comedy starts right on verse one. Okay, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose uh, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, some people try to explain away Jonah as like a parable uh, because uh, you know, it talks about him being like swallowed by a fish. Like who gets swallowed by a fish and survives that, right? Uh, this, this has got to be some kind of like just story that people tell one another. But uh, uh, both the, uh, the book of Second uh, Kings and Jesus in the New Testament both refer to Jonah as a realistic uh, historical person. Uh, and so uh, uh, I don't think it's un- unfair or inappropriate for us to just assume that this is a, a true story. Right, this is a, a, a God working with his prophet story. Um, and not to mention, Nineveh itself has been like archaeologically found. Right? It is uh, a historical city that has been excavated, and, there, and the stories are corroborated that the stuff that we see in the Old Testament happens in Nineveh. Right? Um, what do you guys know about Nineveh? Cool sounding. Cool sounding. They were terrible. How so? They were the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst. And that's when Jonah ran away. Yes. <laughs> okay. What else? What do, you, what do you know about Nineveh? An ungodly place of persecuted Christians? Or followers of God? Followers of God. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, Nineveh is a part of, a, uh, of, of, of the Assyrian Empire. All right, uh, for a period of time, it functioned as the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Um, and yes, it's known for its incredible brutality and violence. Okay? Um, it was known, and this is like, you can, in the excavations that archaeologists put up, they, put, they find like images that are like drawn of these things that they did. Uh, it was known for uh, skinning and filleting their victims alive. Okay? Uh, uh, one story talks about how they would tear the lips off of their enemies, right? Um, uh, one story talks about how they would collect great piles of human skulls, okay? Uh, this is a city that was exceptionally harsh and exceptionally evil. And all throughout 
uh, the Old Testament, what we see is when a nation or a, or a city or a people group becomes exceptionally evil, uh, God acts, and he often acts with great justice, right? Uh, but not before pouring out grace upon grace upon grace and giving plenty of opportunities to repent and repent and repent and repent. So 100 years after Jonah, because you guys, you've read the story. You know that in the end, the Ninevites repent. A hundred years after Jonah uh, uh, does his ministry and Nineveh repents, uh, another prophet is sent to uh, Assyria and they are wiped off the face of the earth. Okay, because they had returned back to their evil and their violence. Um, <clears throat> but this story is the story of how God acts graciously towards them to give them yet another chance to repent um, why does Jonah not want to go there? <laughs> he, he doesn't think they deserve it. Yeah, you would think, you know, maybe he's afraid for his life, right? That, that's a realistic fear. Like every other prophet can like writes to other nations, but Jonah is called to go to this other nation that's known for its exceptional evil and violence toward their enemies. And Israel is a part of their enemies, right? Why would, like you, you could almost make the argument that Jonah is just afraid for his life. But that's actually not really what's going on here. If you were to skip ahead uh, to Jonah chapter four, verse two, we get a very clear answer of why Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. He says this in chapter four, verse two. Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. All right? Why does he flee? Because he knows God is merciful. And he does not want God's mercy to be given to his enemies. Have you ever felt that? Okay. Um, he's not afraid for his safety. Right? He's afraid that they're going to be forgiven. And he wants them to experience the brunt of God's wrath and his justice. Um, one commentator said the issue was fear, right? Fear that the Ninevites might actually repent and be spared of the disaster that they deserve. And it's true, they deserved it, right? They had done evil things and they deserved God's wrath. And yet God is also a God of mercy and grace. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about this idea of kesed, right? It's a Hebrew word for um, this unrelenting mercy and love of God, right? Kesed. Um, so instead of obeying God <clears throat> as he should, uh, Jonah goes to a port city and gets on uh, a boat to Tarshish. Now, uh, Tarshish was the furthest possible way, place that Jonah could go away from Nineveh. Nineveh was about a 500 mile journey northeast. Um, and uh, Tarshish was about 2,000 miles away, right? So how many times have you done this, right? God asks you to do something that's hard, and you're like, I am going to make this way harder than it needs to be, right? I'm going to go four times further away just to avoid doing what God wants me to do. So in Rhode Island terms, that would be like, he, like 
he went all the way down to Newport, Newport to get away from <laughs> to get away from uh, uh, Pawtucket or whatever. Um, Nineveh was 500 miles away. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, uh, and you start to see right here uh, the first glimpses of the irony and the satire in this book. Okay, uh, Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. Uh, Jonah's job is to tell people to turn to the Lord in obedience. Uh, Jonah knows he can't run from God, right? God, is, he later will confess, he is the creator of the heavens and the seas and the earth, right? Where, where are you supposed to run from him, right? And yet he is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, dove, son of faithfulness, running away from the Lord. Um, by fleeing from the Lord's presence, one commentator says, uh, Jonah announces emphatically his unwillingness to serve God. His action is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. Right, this is a blatant rejection of God and his call on his life. So let's read on. Ch uh, chapter one, verse four. Uh, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea uh, and there was a mighty tempest uh, on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And you'll notice that throughout the entire book of Jonah, uh, everything's kind of like emphatic. Everything's emphasized, right? The great city of Nineveh, the great wind. Uh, the ship is actually personified. It's like the, the Hebrew makes it sound that the ship is like, like a, like a character that's like threatening to break up, right? Uh, if you guys don't turn around, I'm gonna just fall apart on you. Okay, like he's, he's like he, the ship is a part of the story, right? He's a character in the story, and the mariners were afraid. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his god, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So the whole purpose of them coming on this journey is to bring this cargo from point A to point B. And they are, like, the, 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 the storm is bad enough that they're ditching all of that, right? Our lives are worth more than getting a paycheck. Uh, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Um, irony, there's, there's, there's comedy in here, there's satire in here. Um, there's also this funny play on words that's happening right here, okay? Um, he, uh, this, it, it's around this word down, right? It shows almost a spiral that Jonah is going through. Okay, uh, in verse two, God commands Jonah to arise and go up to Nineveh. And instead, Jonah arises as if he's gonna obey and then goes down to Joppa, right? Then the, next he says he went down uh, to the ship. And then next he says he went down into the innermost parts of the ship. And then lastly, it says he went down into sleep. You see this almost like play on words, like, uh, like, he, uh, like the author is, is, is trying to point out, like Jonah is going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into his disobedience and rebe rebellion against God, right? He, it, and it's not, it, oftentimes our descent into sin or, uh, or, or running from God's call is not a jump from point A to point Z, right? It's not like you go from like, I'm doing great with the Lord to boom, I'm running to Tarshish. It's usually gradual little steps that we take, the little choices we make of disobedience, it is a gradual descent, right? And the captain comes to him. 
while Jonah was asleep uh, in the inner part of the ship. You get the irony here? Jonah is asleep. The man of God is asleep and all the pagans are praying. Right? The man of God is asleep, but all the pagans are praying. Right? While Jonah is fast asleep in the inner part of the ship, the pagans are praying. Um, and the captain's words to him are uncomfortably familiar. Right? In verse 2, what does God tell Jonah to do? Arise and go to Nineveh and call out. Arise, go, and call out. In verse 6, what does the captain beg Jonah to do? Arise and call out. It's almost like Jonah has to take a double take, like, Deja vu, yeah, right? It's, it's very, you see the play on words here? You see how the author of the book of Jonah is showing us these, uh, uh, these really interesting uh, uh, literary plays, right? Um, the words are actually exactly the same. The, 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 the captain's words to Jonah are the exact same words that God uses to call him into obedience, okay? Let's read on, verse seven. Uh, then they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Uh, and they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, and then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Uh, casting lots, uh, you see it a couple of times throughout the, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament actually. Uh, and it was just one of the ways in which people would attempt to determine God's will or God's direction. Um, and oftentimes you would actually, they would have two pebbles. One, one side of the pebbles was white, one side was black. If they both landed white side up, it was a yes from, from the gods. If it landed two side, uh, black sides up, it was a no. And if it was one and one, then it was just like, try again. It was like, a, like an ancient eight ball, right? <laughs> God, who, who, uh, uh, who is the, the person who's responsible for this? And then, you know, you look down. Uh, we typically don't think of God's will in this way. And we actually don't, practice this today but it's maybe we maybe, maybe we should well and it would take it would take it in an incredible um faith in god's sovereignty right i have to believe that no matter how these lots are cast that, that literally proverbs says proverbs sixteen thirty three, the law is cast in the lap but every decision is from the lord right so god is able to make those land whichever way he wants Right? Oftentimes, the reason why we don't do this is because you know, we'll ask God, like, hey, God, you know, I'm going to cast some lots. Should I go talk to my neighbor about Jesus? And you cast lots, and there's two whites, and you're like, oh, yeah, he says yes, but he, he can't mean yes. Right? So we don't, we, don't put our, we don't trust God enough to. <laughs> We're too far away. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's not an effective method for us anymore. Uh, we have a more effective, a more sure method of, of knowing God's will. It's called the scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> He calls me all the time. No. It's called the scriptures, right? We have something that's even more sure. It's called the scriptures. 
And the sailors, they ask some very poignant questions, right? They're very, they're just there's great questions, right? Whose fault is this? What is your job? Where are you from? What is your country? What is your nationality? Yeah, the storm is raging. The sea, it's getting worse. And there's like, can you sense the urgency uh, in, in, their, in their questioning as well? Uh, and this is the first time that Jonah speaks in the, in the book. Okay, and he speaks to answer their questions and he only says a few words. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I, I fear, uh, some of your translations will say worship. I worship the Lord. And he is the creator of the sea and the dry land. Okay, so what are you doing running away from him on the sea? Okay, like, hello. (laughs) Um, You can almost see the sailor's eyes kind of like widening. Like your God is the God that created all of this. And apparently he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Uh, And so the expression in verse 10 where it says they, they, uh, they... feared with exceeding fear. It literally, the, 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 the literal translation is they feared with great fear. Right? These guys are terrified. Right? The, the, the storm is scary enough. Uh, angering the God who created the sea and the, and the land, that is something to be truly terrified over. They knew he was running from God and this is another irony alert. Right, Jonah runs away from, uh, by sea from a God who created the sea. Can you guys see like the comedy of all of this? The humor behind all of this? Right, Jonah's not the hero of the story here. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Verse 11. Uh, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous Uh, He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Uh, Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Uh, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So Jonah's solution for saving everyone uh, is to have the sailors throw him into the ocean. Okay, there is something there, right? What, what, like, what is that? Why wouldn't he just jump out? Okay, maybe. Like, why, why does he? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There's two ways we can understand Jonah's response here. Right. Option one is he truly is repenting and he's realizing he's wrong and he's realizing uh, that, he, uh, that he is running away from the, the call of the Lord and he's put these people in danger. And so he's self-sacrificially saying, throw me to my death and you guys will all be saved. Right? That's one way to look at this. Uh, I think there's another way to look at this that is more in line with what we know about Jonah though. Right? He's already gone 
down from uh, to Joppa. He's got down to the ship. He's got down into the inner part of the ship, down into sleep. What's further down than into the bottom of the sea to his death? Okay? I think uh, that Jonah would rather die in the sea than go to Nineveh and see God's mercy played out on his enemies. I think that's more consistent with what we know about Jonah than his self-sacrificing himself. Oof. Right, that is some deep rejection of God's call and a deep uh, withholding of God's mercy on his enemies. And even the, I'm sorry, but even like the people on the ship are so much more compassionate. Yes. They, they try so hard to row back to sea, to land. Right? Ultimately, they pray, they beg God for mercy. Like, God, we're, we're going to do this thing because that's the only thing we know to do. Um, and they throw him over and the storm stops immediately. It almost sounds like, like the storm was like a toddler that was like rampaging and angry. And then all of a sudden, like, got some food and it's just, okay, cool. <laughs> all right. All right. And the chapter closes with the sailors turning to the Lord and Jonah being swallowed by the fish, right? Everyone in the story gets it except for Jonah, right? Um, it's beautifully written, it's artistic, uh, and it tells us a really important story and it's more than just the story that we get from Veggie Tales of, you know, whatever, like a little kid. This is more than just a kid's story, right? This is a deeply meaningful uh, 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 critique on ourselves. How do we do this very same thing in our lives on a regular basis, right? I think there's five important lessons that we, um, that we learn from chapter one of Jonah. Uh, and th- these, are, these are simple, but I think they're, they're, they're meaningful. I wanna walk you through them real quick. Uh, I think number one, I think God will often invite us to do things that we may not like. Right? God will often call us to do things maybe that we disagree with. Right? Jonah did not want God's mercy to be given to his enemies. That was not justice. Right? But God is calling him, God has a bigger perspective here than he does. Right? He does not like it, but God is calling him to do it anyway. Right? What is God inviting you to do that you may not be thrilled about? Number two, I think that there will always be an option for us to sail to Tarshish. Right? Even in, in the Garden of Eden, right? God gives him a call to be fruitful and multiply, to, uh, to enjoy all of creation, uh, and he gives them an option to rebel. Why does he do that? Right, because God's not going to force me into obeying His call. He He wants me to choose that because He knows that's what's best for me. So there's always going to be an option for me to sail to Tarshish. Right, I can choose to do what is hard and follow the call of the Lord, or I can do what is four times harder and try to run away from the call of the Lord. All right. So what, what's your getaway plan? Right? Where have you been running away from God's call in your life? 
how have you justified ignoring God's call in your life? Right? We're so good at justifying why we choose to disobey this or the other. Right? I'm a master at doing this. <clears throat> have you wrestled with your true motivations of why uh, God's calling on your life doesn't line up with what you think it should be? Number three, um, I think God oftentimes brings storms into our life to direct and redirect us. So we look at the difficulties that are going on in our, in our, in our life and we, we gripe and complain about them. Oh, but woe is me. Why is my life so hard and everyone else is so easy? Right? Uh, there is this idea in chapter one of Jonah that the storm is actually a, a manifestation of God's great mercy Right, his kessed mercy, his pursuing mercy for Jonah. Right, you can again you can look at the storm as something bad that's happening to Jonah, and he doesn't deserve it, or he does, and maybe whatever. Uh, or you can look at it as this is God's merciful hand saying, "No, no, no! I have a better path for you. Your path leads you to destruction. My path leads to life, not just to you, but also to this entire city." Okay. What is the storm in your life that God is using to steer you back to him? Right? How is it that God is breaking your life apart in order to open up your eyes? Okay, Have you considered your difficulty as a storm that's meant to redirect you into the will of God? Number four, uh, our rock bottom moments. Okay, when, when we just are at the end of ourselves, we're spent emotionally, physically, financially, whatever. We're at the rock bottom. Those moments can often be exactly what we needed. All right, we look at these moments as the worst parts of our lives. Uh, they're, however, the, the exact moments where we get to stop running and step back into God's call for our lives. All right, maybe you've hit your rock bottom. Maybe you're on your way to your rock bottom because you're still running. Did I say five lessons? I meant four. <clears throat> the questions I want you walking away, and if you're listening from home, the questions I want you asking yourself as you read this chapter, as you read this book, is this. How have I already been like Jonah? Because you are. I am. How have you already been like Jonah and how are you like Jonah right now? Right? What, where, what is that sniper laser pointing at in your life? Right? That you realize, I, I thought Jonah was this, was this, 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 and I'm realizing I am this, this, this. Right? We can spend all our time pointing our fingers at Jonah and how bad he is only to realize that the Holy Spirit is pointing the finger back at me. How am I, Jonah, this morning? All right, Jonah was asleep in the boat. He didn't care how his actions and his decisions affected the people around him. Right, how are you asleep at the wheel harming the people around you? Maybe you're just coasting through life uh, and you're not even realizing that you're putting other people in danger as you are running away from the call of God on your life. And I want to invite us this morning to wake up. All right, the captain comes down to Jonah and he says, wake up. Arise and call upon your God.
me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so good at being Jonah's uh, without even realizing that we are Jonah's. And only your Holy Spirit can point out the ways in which we are uh, running from your call, the ways in which you have invited us into uh, the true, the full life, and we ignore it and we run the opposite direction. And so we ask even this morning uh, that you wouldn't let us sleep at night uh, if there is an area where uh, we're running from your will or running from your call. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you'd point out the little ways in which we are uh, descending down into greater disobedience and greater uh, running. And Jesus, would you give us the humility, the courage, the boldness uh, to be able to turn back to you. And if that means breaking us, Lord, as hard as it is to say, Lord, would you break us? Would you bring us to our rock bottom moments so that we can repent uh, and turn back to your uh, call for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.